Hello, and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. I'm Tammy Richter. And guys, today we're talking about harm reduction. So we have a really special guest with us. We have Stephanie Jones, harm reduction advocate and founder of the Safe Partying Program. And uh, Stephanie, can you start us at the beginning, first of all, how you got into this and what is harm reduction? Because not everybody in live events even knows what that is. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, I spent uh, most of my career at an organization called the Drug Policy Alliance. It's a nonprofit uh, national advocacy organization that is working to change drug laws in the country, has been behind many of the marijuana legalization laws, has um, helped with the passage of the decriminalization of all drugs in Oregon that just happened recently. And they have also worked to uh, promote harm reduction policies. While I was there, I, I founded the program Safer Partying, which promotes uh, drug education and harm reduction services in festivals, nightlife, and other live events. And harm reduction is a really interesting concept. It's it's can be applied in a lot of different areas, but traditionally it actually has been um, used in reference to drug use. The history of it actually has to do with um, like syringe and IV drug use. So the concept of harm reduction is to actually provide people with sterile syringes so that you're not spreading disease. And um, like that was the originating concept, but it is applied now much more broadly than that. And it basically means any practice or strategy that would make drug use safer. So Um, how does that tie into live events? So for live events, I mean, first of all, you have to acknowledge that live event spaces are places of intoxication. Like they always have been, they always will be. And quite frankly, that's kind of awesome, right? Like that's actually like a a nice part of, you know, festivals and parties and live events. But of course it does come with risks. And a lot of those risks that we are very comfortable talking about, like with alcohol, you know, we've developed strategies around them, but with other drugs, you know, that are illegal, the risks are different. And so the idea is to uh, use harm reduction in these spaces, like how these drugs are used, who's using them and how to keep people safe in these particular spaces is like the specific approach of harm reduction for live events. So instead of chastising the people for doing the drugs when you come upon them at the event, you're seeking to educate both the people that are running those events as well as the people that are attending those events to make sure that these people are safe um, and they're educated about drug use and how to recognize and, and support people that are, are using at events. Is that kind of where, where I'm at? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that like uh, event producers are a little bit like twitchy about this subject because they're often targeted, even though drug use happens like broadly across, you know, society. It just often seems like events and nightclubs and, you know, festivals get targeted for this sort of thing. But I think most people actually would like to take this approach, right, to be supportive of of educating people. Like if you're going to use these substances, like here's a way to do it in the safest way possible and be smart about it. And to provide services, you know, just in the event that things, you know, become a little bit um, 
problematic or, or risky, you know, that would be like what a responsible event producer wants to do. And so I'm trying to uh, help facilitate that kind of environment. So I'm putting on an event and I've identified my event as having this potential risk due to the characteristics of who's coming, that there's likely to be drug use at it. What are, what am I, like, what are the logistics? What, what am I, what are my goals? What am I actually doing other than identifying that? Yeah. Well, it's really, you know, it's very individual from event to event and, you know, community to community, but there are three sort of main strategies that I think of when I think of harm reduction at events. The first is educational outreach. And so that can be everything from, you know, putting signs or putting something on your socials to having like a team of people who are trained in, um, you know, drug information and how to communicate about that information to people like sort of answer questions. That's one whole strategy is like educational outreach. There is a second strategy that is called uh, variously peer support, psychedelic harm reduction or compassionate care which is a little bit um, related to medical service in that you have a lot of people come into medical, like they might be on something, but they don't actually have like a physical problem. Like their, you know, their experience or their difficulties more like emotional, or they just need somebody to kind of like, you know, provide that kind of support. And that's what this harm reduction service offers. So for somebody who might be on a substance and is having a difficult experience, and their problem isn't a physical problem, then you have a team of people who are trained to provide peer support, to provide emotional support for however long they might need before they can kind of rejoin the event. And then the third and final um, major harm reduction service that hasn't yet happened um, above ground at events, although it's happened sort of under the table at many events, I think, is something called drug checking. So one of the realities of illegal drugs is that they are often adulterated. You often don't really know what you're getting. And so there are actually ways to test these substances to determine if um, they're actually what they are uh, supposed to be. And so that is, can be a really powerful tool to offer people who are going to be using these substances no matter what. Um, ways to be safer about it. So it seems like in the U.S. that this is a growing, I think, is that the right way to say that this is, this is something that is becoming more common, but isn't, hasn't been adopted by everyone yet. Um, I believe in the U.K., isn't this more of a standard yeah, I was actually, Danielle, I was actually at an event recently with um, a bunch of different types of people, not just event organizers, but we were talking about um, drugs at events. And I'd mentioned, you know, in the UK, you know, there are welfare tents. There are people there that are trained to sort support people that are having a bad trip or, have, you know, have gone just a little bit too far um, or have gotten separated from their friends um, and need some support. And I swear, you know, I got looked back at like I had just grown a second head. It was just this mind blowing thing that, oh, wait, we could just support people that have, you know, taken drugs at a, at a festival. And so at that point, you know, I kind of like shut it down for a second because I was like, I don't even know really how to explain to this group, you know, how this could be done. So it was very timely because then I met Stephanie not long after that. And I said, 
you know, I think there's a real need for this. There, there's especially the education part of it. You know, we've gotten to a point where a lot of us are carrying Narcon now, and that's actually becoming pretty accepted to carry the Narcon at events. And a lot of event organizers and crew are carrying it. Um, so great. That's a first step. Like we're recognizing that there's drugs at festivals, there's drugs at events. Um, but I think this is the next step. And it's, you know, something that I feel is very important to start educating about. And um, meeting Stephanie, you know, I just it just kind of put the nail in the coffin for me, right? <laughs> um, it's actually been happening in the US. It's just starting to get more and more support. I think there's been like a turning point in terms of harm reduction, like what Tammy was saying, like the opioid overdose crisis has really changed the conversation, right? Like now that we know that there's a life-saving drug, naloxone, or like you were saying, the brand name Narcan, that is just like so simple. Like if somebody's having an opioid overdose, like you can, like a lay person who is trained can administer it and like help save somebody's life is just like, it's, it's just like an amazing thing to realize and just like Game why want to have that tool out there, right? And so once that opens the door into this concept, then you can say, oh, there's all these other things we might be able to do to like make people safer and potentially like avoid medical emergencies and like save a life. So, so all right. I can hear people arguing with me in my head about this. <laughs> so, so I'm going to go ahead and just ask the question, you know, what is the difference between supporting someone who is doing drugs and encouraging people to do drugs. Yeah, the that's like literally the most common refrain exactly. that I hear when I like <laughs> That's like I can hear this argument. How, <laughs> how, how do we explain what the goal of this is? Yeah, I mean, there's a really big difference between encouraging. I mean, like every event that I know of, like, you know, they have the searches, they have like security, like they have language that says, you know, these things are illegal and whatever. And, you know, let's be real. Like that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't stop it. From that does happening. not eliminate it in any that way. That does not <laughs> eliminate it. So it's just a question of like being realistic about the fact that like, okay, we did all these other things that you told us to do to prevent drug use, et cetera. And like, quite frankly, side note, different conversation like some of those things are quite harmful like driving like arrests and like can really like screw people's lives up but you know you are doing what you need to do as an event producer to follow the the laws to try and prevent drug use but there you need to be realistic about the fact that that is not completely preventing drug use so use using these harm reduction services is really taking a realistic approach Sure. So this is sort of our Swiss cheese method of, of dealing with, with a risk. You know, you attack the problem from multiple angles and no one solution or strategy is going to catch everything, but this is a tool in the toolbox, so to speak. Yeah. And I like to think that it's actually like the more ideal approach you know, like I said, it's not necessarily, it's not a bad thing that we like go to events and we're enjoying ourselves and sometimes substances are a part of that. But, you know, I can understand like between the rock and the hard place that an event producer is sitting where like they need to follow the laws and, and rules to like put an event on. But at the same time, you also have to be thoughtful about like, how, what can I do to like protect and, and, you know, make this experience the best possible for the community I'm bringing together. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, event producers are are increasingly adding more and more support services, you know, mental health 
support services are now, you know, pretty standard across, you know, event sites right next to your first aid tent. And so having something like this is just another support service for your event. Um, You know, in my experience with events um, as an attendee, mostly uh, I've seen people that I've had, uh, you know, are potentially close to OD, you know, and their friends are trying to hide them or trying to get them out of the event site because they're afraid that they're going to get in trouble, you know? And I think those are some of the situations too, that we're trying to get away from. It's like, we want people, you know, no matter what they're doing, if they're attending your event, we want them to be safe. If they broke a leg or, or they've taken, you know, too many pills, we want to make sure that they're going to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. What are, so Stephanie, I'm just curious, what are some of the things that, you know, I, I kind of cruised around uh, the uh, Safer Partying website and I noticed that there was a checklist on the website and I was reading through that and I was wondering if you wouldn't mind just kind of touching on that a little bit and telling us, you know, the, the checklist that you guys have developed uh, for attending events. Oh man, that's going to test my memory. But um, basically the idea behind the checklist was uh, direct to attendees to kind of get them to think about what their night might be like, um, you know, going forward. And there was like a few key tips that I put in there. Like you always want to make it short and sweet, right? Because (laughs) people like have short attention spans and you really have to, especially in a festival and a nightlife environment, like get right, right to the key point. And so the first thing um, that's on that checklist is asking people to like really review their mental state. You know, like sometimes it's just not the night to be like drinking heavily or, you know, doing other things. Like you just might not be like, you might be like feeling sad or anxious or nervous. And the more that that's true, you know, the less likely you're gonna actually have a good time if you start adding like substances to the mix. So that's the first thing is to get, make sure people really understand like what their mental state is. The second thing is reminding people that there's laws, you know, and uh, people will do what they're going to do, but that there are certain risks involved, right? Like about, especially if you're choosing to use a substance that's currently illegal, then you have to like take that into account. And also like, you know, even for substances that are legal, they may not be legal for you. Like, for example, if you're at an all ages an event, like alcohol is still not you know, on your agenda. So those are things um, that I also ask people to think about on that checklist. The third uh, gets into something that I mentioned a little earlier in our conversation, which is uh, talking about drug checking. So if people really are gonna be using substances that are illegal, the best thing that they can possibly do is test that substance ahead of time. So like not even waiting till like you get to the, <laughs> till you get to the event, do it the night before, do it a couple of days before. There are things called um, reagent kits that test most substances and you can get them from a nonprofit called Dance Safe. Um, if you're worried that there might be fentanyl in your substances, you wanna use a fentanyl test, test strip um, to test for that. So there are ways for people to do it um, sort of on their own at home. There are also certain cities that offer drug checking services with really high level machines. So New York City uh, is just starting a drug checking program. San Francisco is just starting a drug checking program. So there's, they're starting to happen across the country, which is 
really exciting. Um, so that's the third thing. The fourth thing, and this is a hard one to tell people in a festival environment, but it's really, really better if you can possibly avoid mixing intoxicants. And <laughs> I, I have like on the, the checklist, like, but, <laughs> but if you can't, then you really need to really uh, educate yourself on like which things are truly dangerous when you mix them together, like opioids and alcohol, for example, really increase your, um, your likelihood of having an overdose versus ones where, you know, this is a more manageable experience. So try not to mix, but if you're going to, <laughs> be sure you know um, how these things are potentially going to interact. So this is going a step further than beer before liquor, never sicker. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. exactly what I was thinking. Remember college. Along those lines, but sort of an expanded, <laughs> sort of an expanded thing. There's actually a really cool resource that I use um, sometimes to uh, have this conversation around mixing. There's a chart from an organization called Tripsit. And the, there's a chart at tripsit.me drug combinations chart. It's not perfect, mm -hmm. but it does give a kind of um, interesting guideline and an interesting place to like start thinking about like how things combine and what the levels of risk are. And then finally, this is like a classic, classic tip, but definitely, um, you know, have your friends with you and make sure that somebody is like keeping an eye out, not just for you and, and in the friend group, but like out in the festival or the live event environment generally. You know, we always wanna encourage, you know, that community vibe, that like people taking care of other people. And mm -hmm. that is really gonna be like, make a huge difference in terms of safety, not just for you and your personal friend, friend group, but like everybody at the event. So I always like to close by encouraging that to uh, be a buddy. Yeah. Yeah, I encourage that for, you know, anything you're going to be doing at an event. You should always have a buddy. I always call it battle buddy. Um, <laughs> yeah. A little rave crew, a little rave prop pod. Yeah, yeah. It's, your, it's your posse, you know, but, yeah. you know, they're going to take care of you. But, you know, yes, that community, that sense of community um, that events really uh, encourage, I think, goes hand in hand with this sort of thing. And, and as well as other other you know, you get separated for your, from your folks. You, you, you haven't been able to find a ride home. I want to be able to walk up to somebody and say, I need help and be able to depend on others to, to support me. Absolutely. Yeah. So Stephanie, one of the things you talked about was uh, the peer to peer and the Narcan people being trained on that. How, who does that training? How do you get that training? Is it something, you know, does it, is it my favorite answer? It depends. Uh <laughs> <laughs> well, for Narcan training, um, a lot of public health departments will actually do that. So a lot of public health departments are, are building these partnerships with festival producers or nightclubs or live events, and they will give your staff a Narcan training. I am actually trying um, to develop like a more robust training. Like, so that covers your opioid substances, but like, what are you going to do? Like, how do you recognize a medical emergency or a potential problem for other substances? How do you interact with somebody that might be on those substances? That's something that I am working on um, making an offering to festival producers so that they can have that training 
available to them. I think that would be huge. Um, I don't know of any other organizations that currently offer that, but you know, being able to have somebody and come in and train my staff, I think would be really beneficial. You know, even if it's just to recognize, you know, you know, what are they looking for when uh, to identify somebody that might need help, or how do they support, you know, the people that, you know, may have gone just a little bit too far. Um, and you're right that you know the Narcon training, um, I actually received it for free. Um, through the the local health department and then they also gave me a supply of it to carry with me yeah it's really it's really amazing and like I think there has been an effort to get that those kind of tools out there so like there's no reason not to take advantage of them quite frankly and like the other thing too is like festivals are, are sometimes a little bit like nervous about letting attendees bring in uh Narcan and I'm you know, as long as it's the nasal spray formulation and not like the um, syringe, the IV formulation, which I can see why you might want to restrict that. Like there's really no reason not to let attendees come in with Narcan. Like if they are trained and willing to come on site with their Narcan, like I think that's something that you would want to encourage with your, your attendee population. You know, I carry it with me everywhere I go. It's just, it's in my purse. It's in my backpack because you never know when you're going to come across that situation. It's, it's completely random and it could save somebody's life for sure. Yeah. And the other thing that like some people don't know is that like, if you, you know, sort of misdiagnose, if you're like, oh, that person, <laughs> that Narcan is not going to do anything. Like that's the, that's the beauty of it is like, if you like administer it to somebody who's not having an opioid overdose, like, you know, they were just taking a nap or something, who knows, but like, there's no um, risk in terms of, you know, miss, you know, administering it and causing further harm. Do you know if, you know, these sorts of um, support services and, and things like the narcotics, is that covered under like the Good Samaritan laws, very much like CPR, or, you know, if you're trained in it, then, um, and, and you're doing what you've been trained to do up to your level, that you would be covered under a Good Samaritan uh, type law and that you wouldn't be held responsible um, if I, something more adverse yeah, happened? I think the Good Samaritan laws are really designed for people who are like calling for emergency services. So it's less about like you've been trained to do something. It's more like the scenario where you were talking about earlier, where like people were like trying to hide their friends who might be like having you know, an OD or a difficult experience, it's like, don't worry about that. Like definitely seek out medical services if you're at all worried. I mean, festivals and live events are generally pretty good at like, just, you know, bring your person to us. We want to help. But outside of the festival environment, it can get kind of dicey. Like if you're just like, oh, I'm on something or my friend is on something, are we gonna get in trouble? Are we gonna get arrested? that's what your, um, the Good Samaritan law is really meant to cover. And they're, they're different from state to state, but I think definitely within festival environment, you just, just go to medical, just do it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, obviously we're, you know, we're still working on, you know, trying to recognize harm reduction and, and it's going to probably be a bit before we get there. But um, if there's something that happens with your friends at an event, they need to go to medical. Like people shouldn't be afraid, right. To take their friends to medical or, you know, to, to try to seek out help for them um, from the nearest, even police officer or, or medic that's in the crowd. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because the potential consequence of not is, is devastating. So far more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And I think when you have harm reduction services on site, you have another group of people that is carrying that message, right? Like, so it's not just, you know, the festival, it's not just maybe your medical team. If you have a harm reduction team that's doing drug education or that's providing peer support services, that's another group of people that is going to be like, you know, we can answer this question for you, or we can provide you like emotional support if you're just, you know, feeling anxious or whatever it is. But the moment there's like a, even a doubt that like something more serious or something physical might be happening, that's a team of people that is going to be like, we'll take you to medical or we need you to like you and your friends to like go visit medical. That's, that's super crucial. Stephanie, are there other resources out there that festival festival organizers, event organizers can seek out to, you know, learn more about harm reduction and, you know, if there's uh, things in their area that they can seek out to, to look for training or education or things like that? Um, well, I'm not sure about training or education because this is really like a very developing field. There are some organizations out there providing services. One I mentioned, Dance Safe. Um, they do drug education outreach and they also do drug checking. Um, so that's a great organization to know. There are a bunch of smaller ones as well that are regional that provide these sort of services. Um, there's one called Harm Reduction Circle. There's one called The Good Eggs uh, based in Arizona. Um, there's another group called Harmonia that is East Coast based, I think North Carolina. Um, and then one organization that I actually work with um, called the Fireside Project. So this is not an on-site service, but it is, um, it's basically a phone or text line for people who have used psychedelics or cannabis and might be having a difficult experience. And they can call or text this line and receive emotional support from people who are trained to provide it. And I think that's really a great way for like festivals to step into this idea of harm reduction services because it's totally free, doesn't require to have anything on site, but just providing that information to your attendees can sort of give them a resource um, that can be really helpful, like in the immediate moment, but also after the fact, because the Fireside Project also works with people in terms of like integration or just processing like something really heavy or major that might have happened while they were on a substance. This sounds like it actually might be a really good resource for even attendees to ease into feeling more comfortable about, you know, reaching out to somebody for help if they're having an, ex an experience. Um, we do something similar with a couple of my events where there's a chat text line for people who may have been victims of sexual assault. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, an, it's an outlet for people or it's a resource for people to be able to reach out without being, you know, you don't have to be identified. Um, they're, they're not going to see your face. So it's, it's stepping people into um, a different uh, level of being comfortable, you know, reaching out and, and talking about what's happening to them. Yeah, Absolutely. And, you know, I also want to shout out like a few of the festivals that I know of, and I, I don't know all of them, but I do know a few festivals that have made some efforts in terms of integrating harm reduction. Um, one of them is Lightning in a Bottle. Uh, they have had on-site harm reduction services for several years now and um, have been really amazing at keeping that going. Uh, I also worked with um, Insomniac Events, which is a major electronic music festival producer for um, several years between 2016 and 2019. 
putting together something we called Project Open Talk, which was an on-site service that offered like educational outreach as well as those peer support services. So that was a really exciting thing um, to do and to like have a major festival producer invest in like having those services on site. So it is starting to happen. <laughs> it has been <laughs> happening um, in a few festivals in a few places. And I think it's really, it's just, we're at a moment where it's the right time to, for these, for it to become more industry-wide and to become like sort of standard. So it's it's probably obvious to our listeners that that Steve is not on this pod. Uh, he has another <laughs> commitment today. Uh, however, I'm going to ask the legal question <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like I'm going to get a call afterwards if I don't. So so are are by doing these things are what is like our legal liability? What is you know what's the legal liability for the people who are seeking that support? giving the support, the organizations, you know, I can see a lot of people having questions about those things. Yeah. And I think that it's hard to, I'm going to give a very lawyer answer. Like it's, it's hard. It depends. To, yeah. <laughs> it depends. Like a lot depends on like what state you're in and are you on private land? Are you on like public land? So it's really hard to answer that without like talking about the specifics of the event and where it's located. But generally speaking, I will say that in my experience, the most important thing is to have all of your players in agreement that this is the right approach. You know, so not just the festival producer, but like talking with local law enforcement and local public health and like, you know, the um, the bodies that are doing the permits, like just so that everybody is on board that like, this is what we're doing and we're doing it because we want this event to be safe and this is gonna create a safer environment. So to, to me, that is actually the most key thing is to just make sure that you have that understanding and alignment because there's you know always a reason to say no, but when everybody has that understanding that what we're doing here is really necessary, really vital, and it's really gonna improve the event and you know it's gonna be better for the community around the event, then you can do some really amazing things. I guess we go back to looking at risk, right? You know, we identify yeah. a risk and if you can't eliminate the risk, you try to reduce the risk. And yeah. I see this as being one of those types of things that could help with that. Yeah. yeah. Although if there are insurance people that are listening to this podcast, I am so wanting there to have a conversation with there you. Are <laughs> there are definitely insurance people podcast. listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's, that is one of the areas that I think is um, ripe for some conversation. Maybe that would be like an interesting future podcast conversation is like how to where, get where into we this. put you guys in a ring and just stand back. <laughs> <laughs> and sort of like, explore the different areas right because mm -hmm. i'm always of the opinion i'm like if you have these services you're actually lowering risk and and liability but i'm sure there are some things that i haven't thought of or or whatnot and would need to be worked out but you know those are the kinds of conversations that i think really need to happen and and i'm so glad that event safety alliance exists and that we can all like come together and and sort of work those things out and create some best practices to follow that, that is one of the great things about the Event Safety Alliance is I think that, you know, a lot of times it brings people together that, you know, have topics that are 
things that we haven't thought about before and are new to a lot of people. And it, it allows us to engage with one another and, and sort of, you know, understand it a little bit more and see how it all fits together in order to, you know, con- you know, further our mission of creating safe events. Yeah. And I think there's another aspect of this that we haven't talked as much about yet, but like, you know, primarily I've been talking about this, like as offering services to attendees, but like for people working within the festival and live event environment, like it's so important also to have these conversations about like, you know, what kind of substances am I using to get through the day? Like the reliance on caffeine and then you're at at night and you having drinks with friends and, you know, like just having those same kinds of like offerings in terms of like education about like what what is your own relationship to drug use and and while you're working not while you're working being in this environment like outside of the environment and also like what is your mental health status like what how is that playing into what choices you're making around like what substances to use and like so i think there's a whole other conversation to have about like how are we educating ourselves as people who work in the festival and live event environment about these substances and your relationship with them and how that ties into like mental health and wellness. So there's just, there's a whole vast field of like things that we should be talking about and could be doing um, to make things safer. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Keeping things safer. That is, that is always our goal. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's a really good place to to sort of wrap that that all up. Uh, If you want to email us, our email is podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. Check us out on social media or go to our website, eventsafetyalliance.org. See how those are the same. (laughs) Um, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. This is a fascinating topic. We will put as many of those resources as we can, can in the show notes. Um, for that and your contact information, if you are comfortable with that, uh, if people have any follow-up questions, if you were at NAM recently, hopefully you touched base with us and, or other events where the ESA has been presenting, we will be presenting at events in the future as well. And we can't wait to see Tammy. Thanks so much for co-hosting today. It was my pleasure. It was great. Thank you, Danielle. And stay safe, everybody.